not even going to be like, you know, uh, you know, greeting yeah. you. I just want to just kind of keep the, you know, make it like as if we're both standing at a conference and someone's like, is that joke of Shelly from Tiny Tap over there? I want to go over and say hi to that guy. Oh my God. The awesomeness that he has spun up out of nothing. I need to get some of that just pixie dust of awesomeness to drop on me. So, okay. I mean, speaking, speaking of dropping pixie dust, like why don't we dive right into this drop, this NFT drop. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. That was a really good time at NFT NYC meeting you and getting to host that. It's a layer cake of awesomeness. There's so many things to love that we're keeping it going. What you guys did out of the blocks post acquisition. We'll get into acquisition of the history and your hero's journey let's talk about what just what just occurred please okay i'd love to thanks rich um yeah i think before we kind of explain about the nft drop that we had i think three weeks ago it's really important to ask anyone who's watching this listening to this for a second just forget about everything you know about the nfts uh they have gotten a lot of a lot of focus on the PHP side, but the uniqueness side, and then later we'll try to find utility for them. I think we're coming from a different approach. We're going to where I want you to, to do focus on what you do know about NFTs and that they represent ownership. And then with ownership, you can do a lot of things. You can do PHP where this image is unique and represents me and is a part of a bigger project. So just this is my ticket to be a part of this project. But ownership can also mean freedom. Freedom to control how you uh, manage your digital assets and what you can do with them. So today, if you have a video on YouTube or or some on Spotify, you're basically confined to how the platform works, whatever, how they define revenue, share payments, the kind of business model that they have, maybe it's subscription. But once you give someone an NFT that gives them ownership over digital assets that they've been working on, but at this point in, in time, digital assets are just assets. They just happen to be digital. They're assets in the sense that someone worked to make them awesome. Someone worked to make them profitable. Uh, and they are profitable and people know them and access them. So it can be a nice uh, falafel store down the street or it can be a nice channel on TikTok. doesn't matter. People work on and build an asset. And so we took that idea. And, and wanted to give the creators on our platform a voice. So we have a platform, I'll talk about it later, but the people on the platform create interactive content and that content generates revenue from families who access the content. And we gave them the rights to their content. We gave them an NFT that says, whoever holds this NFT is actually has the publishing rights for this piece of content. And by doing that, we already took the first, the, the first step for uh, kind of separating us as a platform from the content owners. Because now that you have that NFT, you can do all kinds of great stuff with it that aren't dependent on the platform. I'll explain. If you have a video on YouTube and you, and you wanna, and maybe it's really a channel on YouTube, and it's really successful and you wanna add a, a, a business partner, then you're probably gonna do an agreement behind the scenes that's saying, hey, we both share these digital assets. And maybe on YouTube, they have a, a plan where you can add the admin and members, but it's really about what kind of business models YouTube uh, YouTube uh, proposes, so, for example, who really owns the channel, who can kick the other one uh, out of the channel. All those stuff are defined by the systems that YouTube built. But when you have the NFT, you have the power to do that. I just give you 50%. And now you also are a co-publisher on, on our business. And 
maybe we decide that we want a subscription revenue to our for the content that we just co-owned. Or maybe we want to sell it. Uh, maybe we want to sell it as a one-time purchase. Or maybe we want to split it so it's in per geo or pay per age. You can play with it however you want. Now that you actually have the asset, it's up to you on what you're doing with it. So we'll take a book. Let's say if I would have bought uh, this book on, on, on Amazon, on, a, on an ebook reader, then I would just... I wouldn't really buy it. All I, all I would have is access to that content in perpetuity. But when I buy this book in real life, I can, when I'm done with it, I can just sell it to someone else. I have the physical copy. And that's what we imagine will happen with digital assets. So another cool thing that you can do with your NFT, because you now are a part owner in a, in a digital asset, you can print copies of it. You can actually create NFT pass from that and sell those to people. And then can, they can sell those to other people. And so it opens a lot of opportunities. In the center of all of that is the fact that you actually own an asset that generates revenue and you're entitled to that revenue. Now, in order for make, to make this a reality in this ever-changing regulation space, because you know, we're always uh, kind of ahead of the regulatory system, uh, so, so really to keep it as simple as possible, we looked at the publishing industry and how it works there. So in the publishing industry, you create a book. Now, that's great. You're an author. You're a creative person. You've created a book. You need to get it out there now. So you might be looking for a partner. It's going to be a publisher or anyone who can help you pr promote your content. You do an agreement with them and then you, buy, you become co-publisher. So you sold a piece of your asset to them and both of you work to make it a success. And so the same happens on TinyTap. Someone creates a content, then they can add partners to that content. Right now, we're limiting, we're limiting it to a one-to-one -one ownership. So there isn't any fractionalization. It's not a thousand-to-one, which makes things a little bit more complicated, more leaning towards the security aspect of it. But as long as it's, it's a business between two to even up to 35 people, I think, but we're keeping it lean. Then, then it's okay. It's just me and you doing a business over this asset. And now another measure that we took here is that we don't want you to just be a passive holder of it. We want you people to understand that once they bought the NFT, they don't just need to wait for the community, you know, for the board apes to do something. They can act. They can make an impact as an individual holding that NFT because they can localize it. They can put it on an affiliation program or sell it door to door themselves or be an entrepreneur. Like you don't need to build a company. You don't need investors. You don't need the, the, the tech stack. You need a good product that can generate revenue and that you actually own. So someone can take it from you because that's part of something. company. That's terrific. That's terrific framing. I really love how you frame that. And I love the book metaphor because, of course, if you buy the, the rights off somebody for a book, then you can localize it in different languages and you can distribute it. And then you both, the content developer and the, uh, book publisher distributor both have an upside around that, but then you still own the content. You're still the owner of it. And I think in some ways, looking at some of these real world business models is a good way to frame and wrap our heads around web three, because web two was so distorted where it was advertising and user generated content. You don't own anything. And the internet's a giant copy machine and good luck with trying to monetize that. Yeah. I think the problem is that we, I say that it's a little bit like what Apple has educated the market about privacy. We really didn't know we're missing something until someone pointed out and said, hey, 
you're, you're exposed. Everything you're doing is registered. They're having cookies. They're tracking you. They're giving you personalized ads. And suddenly everybody were really minded of their privacy and Apple got their upper end because they offered the, the most private and secured platform. And um, I believe that kind of mind shift will happen in, uh, in owning versus accessing. Just realizing right now that everything we're doing online is accessing content. You don't own anything. And when you don't own anything, you are most likely exploited 99% of the times. So when you get revenue share from, uh, you get revenue share from Spotify, from YouTube, from uh, any platform, you don't have transparency for for why you got what you got. You just got a bottom. You got a bottom line. You can you might see this and that impression from some kind of advertiser, and so we calculated your share, and this is what you're getting. But no one would act like that in the real world. Like when you do a business with someone, you want to make sure you can look at the books, you can understand that you got what you got and that no one is cheating you. But somehow online, we're just, okay, this is the best we got. Those guys control the internet. So let's just go with what, what they got. But we can build new systems where everyone has transparency and has ownership and can be cheated off and have a more fair value distribution. Fantastic. Yeah. And I know, like personally, I had a teacher when I was in fourth grade, shout out to Mrs. Kathy Haddon changed the trajectory of my life. And my son, oldest son, Declan, um, Elaine Kinlock, she changed his life. And teachers are so incredibly important. But yet somehow you talk about how the internet distorts things. It's about the education system in many places distorts the market as well too. And teachers are not really paid commensurate to the impact that they have. And I love how you guys are working to, to change that. So I think it's, it's a true that everybody is a truth that everybody can relate to. Teachers are underpaid everywhere. Um, there is a very troubling chart that I've just seen from last year that talks about how, like how uh, high the, I don't remember the numbers right now, but there is a very big increase in the number of teachers who are leaving the education system in the US and, and worldwide, and you can't blame them. And I think that every time, I mean, you can claim that Web2 is already doing that. You can come and you can create on TinyTap or you can create on Udemy. Um, but for some reason, this, this doesn't really help also people on the, on the Web2 front. And the reason is, again, that they are the workers. They're not the owners. So when they go on platforms and create, they still don't get the lion's share. They still are serving some kind of platform. They do get extended voice. and We've been working on that on, uh, on the Web2 front in the past years, 10 years, creating a platform for teachers to make their voice and generate revenue from that. But those teachers were dependent on us as a 30-people company to try and market the hell out of it and make it a bigger company. Uh, and in Web3, you can add so many, so many more components to go and, and work as a community to promote it. And second, they, they didn't have any transparency. So we're still a centralized company in, in that manner. I, I just came from... Uh, the Philippines Web3 Festival ah. uh, that, that was run by the YGG Guild. Indeed, yeah. O over there, I, I met like the, 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 great, the great people in the Philippines, super skilled in online skills, great English. And I remember that uh, long, not long ago in China, they had tutoring companies where they used teachers from the Philippines to teach Chinese students at home because 
the, the Philippines has really good English. You can pay uh, a lower income than what you need to pay in, in China. And then you can basically connect the site. But what happened is that the teachers in the Philippines still got paid how they got paid in the Philippines. They didn't enjoy the fact that they have an opportunity to reach China now. The, the, the people who enjoy the margins are the companies who manage this operation. So I think that's in the heart of if you really want to make, if you really, really, really want to build the new education system, we need to build it in a way where everybody, everything is transparent and everybody owns the work that they did. So even if they stop working at a company, it's their content. They can take it with them. That's terrific. Yeah. And I think in web one, like broadly, like platforms, web two, atomized to apps and now web three, you know, going deeper into the atomic level to the creator level. And I think that leads us to the latest. Yeah sale that you did of nfts and I, I, that we talked about at the beginning of the pod yeah let me maybe uh talk a little bit about the numbers in the sale uh, itself so you understand what we're talking about um i've been hearing a lot in spaces that people are waiting for uh for projects to start from traction and uh from traction and and revenue and profit and then invite the communities but most of the projects in the nft space are the other way around, right? You come up with a great concept, you invite the community to buy in, essentially giving you the funding and set out to, to go and build and create something and eventually the money will come. So I'm going to talk about the auction we did right now, but I want the, the audience listening to this to really flip their model because we're a company that is already, we're, we're existing. Our revenue this year is about $8 million up from $4 million wow. last year. All direct wow. That's real. consumers all direct to consumers, to families, mostly in the U.S., Hebrew-speaking countries, Mexico, some uh, Arab-speaking countries like Saudi Arabia, Emirates. Uh, but as a whole, there's like a whole world that we can still scale and, and grow to. Uh, and what we did in this auction is we took, in the first auction, we took six courses that were, that were created on TinyTap and just to, to help people visualize those courses are not just video courses like you're used to from Udemy and other sites. It's geared towards younger audience. So like two to 12, two to eight. And it's very interactive and visual, like a presentation where every slide is a different kind of interactive screen. It can be typing, it can be questions, but it feels like an app. It's very fun to play and engage. It's an active learning experience versus just watching videos. Okay, so I have that in mind. Everyone can go on TinyTab, get the iPad app and create for free today. Just tinytab.com or download the app on iPad. So those, we already had teachers creating content over the years, and we chose 12, 12 courses and split them into two auctions. The first auction happened three weeks ago. The next auction is going to happen in the, in the next few weeks. And the first auction was for six courses. Those courses has generated each between five to $15,000 in the past 12 months. And we advertised the numbers. It's public. We advertise the numbers. And that, and as the first step, Web3 for us was to, uh, to basically define and uh, release the, the, the proof of concept of the publisher NFT. The publisher NFT is that NFT that gives you right to digital assets, which you later can take that NFT, connect to a smart contract, and withdraw the revenue that was created from, uh, from content that you co-own, co co-publish, and also have features for you to promote that content. So we did those uh, six auctions and we basically used this auction as a way for people 
to join the project. So his supporters want to support education and have that new asset in their hand, knowing that this, is, this isn't a, a 100x or 0x NFT. It's an asset like an apartment. It can go up, it can go down. You can invest in it. The neighborhood can, can improve if you think about it. You know, us, the project is the neighborhood. So we also invest in, in the project this way. Actually. It. And we saw that we, for uh, about 5x on the revenue side. So if a piece of content was like 10K, it was sold. If a piece of content generated 10K in the past year, it actually was sold for like about $50,000. Um, and that gave a lot of upfront funding for teachers. So 50% of what we did in the sale, which was a quarter of a million dollars, was the entire sale. Out of that, 120K went to teachers, paying them more than an annual average salaries in some case, or very close to that. In Wow. Wow. So some people earn more than what they would make in a year in one of those sales. They made that from the sale. And I'll give you an anecdote. They even made it outside of the sale. So this is what happens if you open tools for people to be entrepreneurs. Uh, a specific, I'll, I'll talk about the specific course in, in, in the project. It's called uh, English with Gabby. And Gabby yes. is a teacher from Israel, and she created an, an English curriculum as a second language. You can do it English for Hebrew, English for Spanish. She built a template for English for languages, and she built a curriculum over six years. Uh, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. Okay? So each course is like 50 games. So it's more than a course. That course that she sold on the auction was sold for $77,000. I don't remember how much ETH it was. I think it was 70, now it's 55 ETH, something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so she sold that to a guild from Japan. It's called uh, uh, Japan Works. And I'll talk about the kind of stuff we can, we can do with, with, with guilds later. But it was sold in the auction. Gabi will get actually half of that, which is about thirty-five to $40,000, is very significant. And oh. she can create oh. more projects and she can actually improve the current project that she has. This is amazing. But during this time, we also launched a new model in TinyTap, which is courses, allowing people to sell courses directly outside of the subscription. And that opened the entrepreneurship mind in a lot of teachers. But we also want to invite people who are not teachers to think like that, buy the NFT and do what Gabby did. So what she did during the month of the auction, she actually took the courses that she had and she applied to uh, applied to to some kind of bid here in Israel and uh, and managed to sell to to eight thousand students in I don't know how many schools I think hundreds of schools eight thousand students are purchased access to her course in the same month that she sold it as an NFT. So I don't want to Fantastic. talk about numbers here too much, but she made a lot of money just from being. Uh, putting in the work first, creating the content, getting on the NFT action, getting on the courses sale. And someone who bought that course can suddenly, even though that course has made only, you know, 15K until now, can suddenly make a lot more because she found a new channel to sell it. Maybe they can do that in Japan. So that's really get me excited about helping people become the entrepreneur they can be because anyone is an entrepreneur. You just need to to not be happy with what you got, with the status quo and like challenge everything. So as long as you have that mindset and of what can happen and not what can't, you'll do fine. You just need uh, the tools and we're here to give you those tools. 
Fantastic. Wow. Yeah. And I love that it's this kind of virtuous flywheel because if you're investing in great content, then you can learn actually from the content creator and the content creator yeah. can have upside from the distributor. And then once uh, new models come out um, around the world and things can be shared and um, ultimately who wins are the students. The students also win in an outsized way because now things are incentivized and are getting pushed out around planet earth. And there's, there's literally billions and billions and billions of undereducated people around the world that are you know, hungry for this kind of content. So it's a, it's a terrific model when incentives are aligned. It's, there are billions of people who are un, un, uneducated. And once you get to those numbers, you're clearly talking about uh, outside, uh, outside the U.S. alone, right? And uh, like the, it's, it's important to understand and how undereducated, yeah, yeah, let's say, yeah. I'll tell you what I'm thinking, the, the way products come to be in our world, like because we're in this space, we're building, we're talking to investors, we're creating, we have some kind of understanding of how the world operates in a different layer, okay? And so education, a lot of the time, because it's a very hard business to sell to schools sometimes, um, it's been overlooked by investors many times. And especially if it is looked at, it is focused, people are focusing on math and English because that sells the best and they're focusing on English speaking countries. But if you think about Nigeria or Vietnam or, 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 or India, or India is actually doing amazingly now with Baiju, but there is so many communities and so many cultures and languages that you can't produce all this uh, ed tech, educational technology content for all of them. And there is a left, so there is a left behind. But if you build tools, then the communities can come and fill the, the, the gap themselves. They can create the content in their language, but what they need and promote their, the, uh, their agenda. And that is what we're trying to do, to do here, to give tools for communities to come together and create, own, and promote educational curriculum that they want to see in the world. Yeah, to be able to do well and do good and to have this sort of you know, truly like asset-backed NFT where the utility is baked in and has uh, really long-term long -term value, like it's a... It's, it's wonderful to see. We're starting to see these kind of projects launch. Um, but this is something that's a, kind of like an overnight success story after how long? About, about a decade, right? And can, can we go back a little bit to, to your, your vision um, when you were mission and vision when you first set out to do this? Yeah, I can tell you that after 10 years, I can totally relate to those graphs. You know, they see like, they show like the graph of success is like this and then this. It's so messy. And you normally just hear what first of all, first of all, you it's you're not supposed to win. And the, the odds are against you, right? It's just that's just the way it is, right? The most likely outcome is that you're not gonna make it, but you know, you've you've really pushed through. And I would love to hear your mission and vision, but also some of the some of the really tough moments along the way to kind of give people listening a little bit of uh, you know, cheerleading and comfort. That yeah, uh, in no, the darkest no. moments, things can still work out. Yeah, I'd love to go to, to go back and tell our story. But even what you just said now, like the odds are against you. That alone just gives me motivation to try harder because I see the positive side of that. And the positive side that if the odds are against me, the odds are against everyone. And so people are just discouraged to even try. Just remember that uh, 
I know. I don't. I don't want to be a cliche, but you miss a hundred percent of your of the shots you don't take. Um, yeah, sure. Most people think like that, and then they don't take those shots. So no, wait, 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 if, if I if I may, you think about like okay, there's the ideation, and then there's I get an idea. Okay, I get a team. I make the product. I do the marketing. I do. So uh, I teach a course about entrepreneurship. I'm like, when do companies fail along that way? And people are like, oh, maybe you know, I don't know when they're trying to raise money and market. I'm like, no, before they have the like. Before they even have the idea, they're like, I'm not, I'm not even going to try. Or they have the idea and they're like, I couldn't possibly do this. They give up way before they, they even, you know, take the shot. So it's, uh, you know, th- these, these crazy dreamers uh, like yourself, like that's what puts a dent in the multiverse. That's what we need more of. So when, when, you were, when you were coming up with this idea 10 years ago, like what was the, what was the vision? What was the um, aha moment for you? Yeah, so- well, some background about myself. I'm a visual guy. I studied design. I studied design. I'm an illustrator. Uh, I come from the product standpoint. And for a moment, when I studied like design and visual arts, I imagined all the imagined all that all the entrepreneurs and companies came from designers because they're so creative and they're thinking about ideas. But unfortunately, a lot of people are they finish college and they just they go out with the hat that they got and they they just keep wearing that that hat instead of understanding that they can slip it and. And be all kind of personalities. So a lot of people are really fixated with their titles. I that's the first step, first advice. Just go. People die at twenty seven and get buried at seventy two. Right. Yeah. So, yes. don't, don't don't define yourself. Don't define yourself. So I, I started with that, and then I got into like during that time with Flash. I got into interactive. So I got into coding. Started with Flash, then Objective C, Python, and Jack, Django for the back end. So I accumulated more skills. Every time I had an obstacle to uh, to overcome, and that's really true for education. That's what a lot of the criticism we have for education today. That you just you get a student, you just you just like uh, give them all the information you know in the world. Here's everything you might need. Go instead of presenting challenges that they want to solve. Because when you grow up and you have challenges, you just give me more. I want to learn how to do this thing. I want to learn how to code. I want to learn how to do marketing. I want to learn how to do blockchain. So needs are very important. It's in the heart of everything we do when we learn something. And so for me, that's how I accumulated more skills. I didn't try and get all the skills up front. I just took a few steps, saw that I need to climb a mountain. I learned how to climb the mountain. Then I needed to, re- to swim a river. Then I learned how to swim a river. So just walk the path and understand what skills you need to pick up along the, the way. Um, so that's number one. Uh, in 2012, I started working on TinyTap. I did a lot of I did a lot of, uh, like, as, as early as I remember myself, I always would get, I, um, I just started my own studio when I was 26, Studio for Interactive, and then I worked with companies and got to, got to understand what it means to run a business in, in a small way. I had, like, two or three employees, team members with me. I was a student back then. And, and then I think that during the time I worked at a startup for four years before I started TinyTap, it was all about keep doing my ideas in, uh, okay? And that's something I ask every time I interview people here. Like, what is your right. side project? Because if you're passionate about what you're doing, it doesn't stop when you leave, leave, you leave work. It just starts yeah. when you get home. So I had some really cool extensions that I did for Firefox and uh, a coding snippet app that I, I, I've created. So some really nice... Uh, nice small widgets that you can start and finish. So it's really hard to not try and create uh, something massive. Uh, start just try to create one small thing that people will use 
I love the metaphor I heard once in a thing like like ten years ago in in a in a TED video or something that everybody's trying to create a you know a, a Starbucks or McDonald's or some huge restaurant which is like Facebooks, Googles, etc. But it's really okay to have a really successful uh, Italian restaurant. Like certain, that's that's also great. Right? It's, it's almost one. like you're going through you're going through the same pain in some ways. You you have to wear all these different hats and you get to learn uh, all these different aspects. So it's a it's a wonderful. Um, exercise so, and and it's tangible and you can you can see it through and then you get like this sense of okay I did that maybe I can do the next big project yes yeah so tiny tap came to be around 2012 when I got into iOS coding and back then we got the iPad the iPad came out around 2010 but so in 2011 I got I started coding uh, working on the iPad uh, the reason I got into the Tanita project is back then I didn't have kids. Today I have a child, he's eight years old, and he's been uh, modeling to Tanita since he was a year and a half years old. It's in all of our ads. But when I started Tanita, I actually didn't have a, a child. I was only passionate about the, the creative space, giving people tools to create. And my personal need at the time was that my dad was pretty young. He was like 57, 58, and he had uh, dementia early Early onset dementia. Early onset. Yeah, very early. It's very early, age 57. And we, I remember we bought this CD for the computer for uh, brain exercise. But it was basically, I don't know, DOS programs that were converted to CD. It was terrible. It was like, <laughs> like a huge triangle, click on the triangle, and you needed to, to even use a mouse. And even using a mouse was complicated. I would ask him like, to touch the, the square. And he would take his finger and point at the screen. I'm like, Dad, you can't touch screens. You have to use a mouse. But then a year later, we got the iPad and iPhone. So I guess he was right. You can touch screens. And so I decided to basically build a platform that allows me to create content that is just for him. Exactly what he needs right now. Because, you know, the cognitive level changes over time. Actually, like that. With a child, it's like that. It goes up. With with dementia and elderly, it actually goes down over time. And the idea was to be able to... Just trying to like flatten it out. Yeah. Uh, and the idea was to, to build a platform that allows you to take a photo. This is how it started. Also talking about how to build a product, right? It didn't start with, we have all these features you can create and share and monetize. No, you can just create con- question activities from a single photo. You could take a picture. If I'm taking a picture of us right now, and then I can ask a question like... Uh, what what is the man using to 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 listen to my voice right now? And that would be the headphones. I would trace an area around your f- headphones with a finger, and then the person hearing the uh, hearing my question will tap on that area in the picture and get, get a correct answer or not. And so, with that simple technique, I could have created uh, activities for him based on family photos, asking him about our family or fantastic! Wow. Starting from his memory, from his past. Yeah, you can bring in even voices from the past. And even when I'm not at home with him and he's at home with his caregiver, he could have listened to my voice speaking. Like, hey, dad, uh, I want to practice some math questions. So the first question is like four plus four. How much is that? And I would give him the answers. So you could create personalized activities, but also uh, personalized activities that people know, but also activities that will work for them right now. And adjusted based on their needs. So that was the initial concept for TinyTap, the need to create personalized activities. And 
we uh, we finished that part. We developed the first product. We saw that it actually worked really nice, but uh, we also tested it with kids, and it was just magical to see them use that and how they reacted when they got the same kind of personalized attention. Personalized attention. You know, when you have a kid, the first interaction you do with him when he starts to communicate at the age of one or so is like, "Where's your nose? Where's daddy?" A lot of words question that fits really well to taking the family photos and asking the same questions in an interactive way and all you need to do is to you know touch something that the child can do and we decided to go for for the kids uh, ch- for the children education market we didn't know exactly what would be our market fit we imagined it would be our market fit so market fit obviously is the the, the point where you figure out who needs your product and, and for us it was teachers so we had an article on TechCrunch in 2012 when we launched the product before we even got our seed funding and we got a lot of teachers starting to create content with that in the classroom, but also giving it to students to create content to each other. So it's kind of a, a way to, to be. It's also a really great technique to, to, to study anything when you need to actually teach it. Then you practice and you, you go over the material until you really know it and you can, you can, and you can uh, uh, run a lesson on it. And so teachers were using the project. And until 2018, that was our product fit, but we didn't generate revenue from that. And it was very complicated because we really understood quickly that edtech is perceived as a very difficult uh, category for investors because you need to sell to districts and schools, and it's a it's it's, it's a big it's a could be complicated, uh, and there isn't enough public companies in that space, so it wasn't the easiest category that we chose to ourselves. But it was amazing to see people creating and sharing content, and you see that there is usage, and then you keep fighting for it, and. Here's another tip that I would give anyone starting a business is that as a CEO or, or, or the founding team, you get a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of advice to get consultants to work with you and, and, and to try to help you to do the marketing. And what we've learned that when you have a new product, you need to really be the one cracking the challenges here because other people will try, but they will give up. They will try one time, two times, three times. They will try marketing. They, they will run their playbook. And if it will fail, they will just, you know, give up on the project. And for you, it's your baby. And if it's your baby, you never give up on him, right? If it's your child, well, you, you did, will look. I mean, you're, you're six years in, right? I mean, like, let's, let's, you know, peel this back a little bit. Six years in, and you have a thesis in the beginning. Oh, my kids, kids are going to use this. But are the kids going to discover it themselves? Or is it going to parents? Is it teachers? Is it, you know, uh, who is it? So you, you have to, you have to launch. And you have to put all the hard yards in the launch and then see what the market wants, what happens in the wild. Okay, teachers. We figured out teachers. Yeah, you see your first signals. You're looking for the first signals. The first signals were, yeah, teachers are using it in the classroom. Great. Let's put a spotlight on that. Let's understand what that means. We did a compet- We participated in a competition by Verizon. Verizon Powerful Answers Award in Education in 2014. Back then, we only raised half a million dollars, almost out of money, like two months ago. We participated in the competition and we, were, we won first prize of a million dollar equity free from Verizon. Ah, wow. Okay. So that, that, that probably, that, that, went, that went far. And then that probably got you close to Animoca investing in 2016, right? We, we got involved when you guys were starting to do a lot of user-generated was, was that the time that you made that switch to uh, UGC in a, in a bigger way? 
So I think UGC was always there, but that was the time where we kind of switched to uh, selling to consumers. So after trying to sell to educate to, uh, to schools, we saw the schools are using. So we developed features for schools, try to understand what they'll buy. We have some great stories about, about how schools were using it, but there wasn't a, enough revenue. So the next phase in the company would be to find your money fit. So we say there's product fit, which is what, which, who needs your product, who uses that, but that doesn't mean that that's the, the segment that will also pay for your product. So you need to keep searching for your money fit. Don't stop at product fit. It can even suck you because if it suck you down, if you look at like the lean startup behind me, um, yes. you know, the, the plan for startups is you look for your product fit and then you zoom in all, all in on that, but it might actually be the wrong thing to do because if you found something that someone that can really sustain your business, you can't stay there long. Maybe you can go back and do some good there later, but right now you need to first focus on making this a successful business. And then we focused on parents in 2018. 2018, we had a, enough of a, of a content library. We had like a quarter, not like, well, no, back then we had like 150,000 educational games. And this is another great thing, advice for everyone. It's not really... I mean, you, you talked about it earlier, like what it takes to, to succeed, but just get into the court and start playing, right? That's the first step. But then you might need to play for years until something good happens. So staying, yeah. alive, is, staying alive is the second tip. Staying alive is don't give up. It, it ends when you give up. Uh, I like the insight that says that the startups don't, don't, uh, don't die. They commit suicide. Yes. If someone will give you up Mostly on them. People are afraid of murder from competition, but yeah, they usually, there's a million ways, founder infighting, not, you know, product market fit. Like you talked about, it's really interesting. Y Combinator says, you know, make stuff people want. Yes, indeed. And I had a startup that we had 25 million downloads and people really wanted it, but they didn't want to pay for it. So it's like, okay, people want it, but people have to want to pay for it. You have to really want it. And so for you, you're like, okay, we're, we're steering the bus in a different direction going to go from teachers to parents. And, you know, Alexander Osterwalder started the business model canvas. And he talks a lot about, like you talked about, it's not just product, product, you know, market fit. It's, it's really the business model that, you know, is the key part for turning it from a product into an actual business. And you did that. Exactly. And, and, uh, if you looked at the, the data, the signals weren't there. Like a lot of people, investors also told us like families have a lot of money go and start to families. And we were looking around us and we didn't see a lot of companies succeeding in that. And we looked at our user database and like parents were 3%. We had like 100,000 users at the time. Now we have why, eight and a half million. Why do you think that? Like what, what was the reason for that? Why was there not success because up parents, to that point? Parents have, a, parents have a different funnel. So for teachers, they shared the tools between themselves. There was a lot of organic growth. And uh, I grew up in a period, you know, my startup journey started, uh, I think, in 2004, 2006. Like YouTube uh, and Facebook and, and uh, MySpace and all those companies were growing. It was all about organic growth. Like how fast can you, you get this product from uh, the product organic growth needs to kind of push the growth of the project. product. So we were waiting for that. Let's see what happens organically. And so teachers came organically. Let's serve them. But parents who didn't come organically needed other ways of communications. Parents are actually people who are busy and doing a lot of things and you need to grab their attention and doing a product like that where a child uses the product, but the parents pay for the product doesn't have the same organic coefficients. So 
a child telling another child about a product doesn't mean the parents will pay. And we're talking about really young ages here. So it really clicked when, because we stayed enough time in the market, the world changed with us and subscription became a business, a viable business model. So when we started in 2012, we didn't have subscriptions as something that uh, it's so easy to access with app subscription and so uh, familiar to people, right? Everybody has multiple subscription nowadays. It can be a streaming service, music service, educational service, I hope. And so we started uh, to, we tested the subscription model and with some uh, marketing that went to uh, parents. Another thing that changed is that I didn't have a child. And like only when I had a kid in 20, in uh, end, of, end of 2014, it's going to be eight tomorrow. He had a birthday. Oh, my daughter is a yeah. seven on, uh, on Saturday. So yeah, it's similar. Yeah. I hope you're also just celebrating on trampolines like us. <laughs> Mandatory. Yeah. So when I, when I had Itamar, like my kid, I could also actually see him interact with that. And I actually took the camera. It wasn't the camera. I guess it was a phone by then. It wasn't that back. Uh, and took some videos of him on the sofa playing. I just ran with them. And one of the insights really took off when we, when we tested the marketing. Now I have a key that I can test marketing with, but also I can start understanding the fear. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the consumer now. I'm a parent. Uh, and I can see yes. the knees of the plane. Yes. That's very important. And you know what's yes. the number one fear for parents uh, at those ages? Uh, this when it comes with digital devices. That's too screen much. time. Yeah, it's too just much screen, screen time. time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and 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 what you do in screen time. So when you have a child and you give him the phone for the first time when he's one and a half year old, and a lot of people will say like one and a half year old, no way, my kid will do it. We'll only start using it when he's uh, twenty. But uh, let's wait and see. <laughs> in reality, a lot of people start very early, um, and sometimes they use it to kind of babysit their their kid while they're doing something else. And YouTube, a lot of the, a lot of the time, is the first content that young audience are consuming young 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 children the reason is because they're so young to use interactive content that youtube works really well and kind of zombies them out but the parents normally yes. feel bad about it because that's you know, the thing is that is a, there that's... is bad there is bad content on the screen of course and you want to replace it with lean forward engaging learning content and i think that's where exactly. you stepped forward, in active. Exactly, lean forward, active learning experience, but that works for young audience. And so when we started the marketing, we started our ages, 2 to 12, and we saw that with this message of about not being a YouTube zombie and about focusing on, on interactive learning, the market, in that market feed, the people who were really, that the message resonated with them the most were ages 2 to 8. So we actually focused even more on that. And then when you do that, everything changes. Now that you know where your money fit, you're starting to adjust your product to fit to them. So it means instead of a, a grown-up that you go over content uh, like on Netflix and it's very complicated and it's text-heavy, now your audience is two to eight and they need to be able to navigate without reading. They need, sometimes it's the first device they'll use. So it needs to be as simple as back and forth rather than something complicated with menus. And what happens if, it's, if the child doesn't know the answer? It's really easy for them to just close the app and go to to YouTube, you're not in the classroom environment. You're in a family environment. They can you need to entertain. Otherwise, you, you people will just leave you. So, so what? So what, what, what do you do in that in that uh, scenario? What's the what's the usability for that then? 
So what's funny about it that? that we need a lot of usability. Yeah, we the usability we did is we created a system called guided guided learning or passive active learning experience, where even if it's a small child and the parent isn't there to guide them right now, the app itself will act as the guide. It will show a hint where the answer might be, and if the child still doesn't know, it will actually answer the the question and connect question with play. So you can completely. Standing up being a passive participant, or you can lean forward and, and be involved. So we had to do all those kind of things and, you know, adjust them between ages and the level of the player. But we, we ended up with something that has really good usability and that increased our retention and conver conversion to, to, from cloud to paid, etc. And, and, and that's and that's great. And managed to generate significant revenue in, in, in that sense. And Imoka came in a year before that, before we even generated revenue because they believed in the power of uh, community-generated content and, uh, and in education. So that's when they came in. Uh, while we were growing our subscription business from 2018 and being able to finally also pay for teachers, that's also very important, maybe a nice anecdote. We built sort of a marketplace. You have the creators creating and you have the families buying. And a lot of people, when they look at this kind of business, they try to understand like, how do, you, how do I get the, the people to create content if I don't have the buyers? So for us, it was giving the creators value other than money at first. So the creators on TinyTap came because they wanted to create the content for the classroom. They needed the content in Arabic. They needed the content to be about real-time event like the passing of Queen Elizabeth, whatever happens right now. They needed to create that so they can have fun lessons. Then when we have enough values that they've created, we could bring in the, the monetization side. So that's another way to, to solve the chicken and the egg equation. Oh, yeah, there's so, there's so many uh, things that you needed to glue together. It just took time to put together that double helix DNA. The market needed to change with subscription and you needed to really figure out who the actual purchaser was and then creating this marketplace with the teacher is really fascinating. You know, I think there's a, there's kind of this interesting DNA that you have, which is as a designer, you know, like Stuart Butterfield from Slack, he's a designer, you know, the founders of Airbnb, they went to RISD as, you know, designers and Chad Hurley from YouTube. I really think that there's a bias towards tech founders, but in, you know, as far as a user is concerned, they want to have a delightful visual uh, experience and the tech should be, you know, underwater in the iceberg and it should just be this little tip of awesomeness. So I think it gives you like this kind of superpower. And can you, can you talk a little bit about that? I think it's super to the point. It's super relevant with you, what you just said, especially when we're talking about Web3, that the technology needs to be in the back, even though we are celebrating the technology, people need to understand value generates, you can trust. You get transparency. This is how you see everything, but you don't really need to understand what NFT is right away. It's actually, it might confuse you. It's just like, I remember the time when everybody tried to explain the cloud. So it was always servers, but eventually we got to this analogy of cloud so people could understand, oh, I put it in that cloud and then I can take it back. They found yeah, the I nice- Yeah, if you think about it right now, like what's your favorite website? Oh, I love, uh, I don't know. I love this channel on Reddit. It's like, okay, um, what, uh, what cloud server are they on? Uh, I don't know. Do they have their own instance? Is it Amazon, Azure? Uh, I, you know, Google? I don't, I don't know. I don't care. 
right? Oh, and you kind of you kind of shouldn't care as a user, right? Exactly, and that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying, um, like a lot of people ask us, like, why are you getting into Web three? And like, my immediate answer is is what I said in the beginning of the, of the conversation: trust and transparency. To make sure those people in the Philippines that they create content, they actually get the value. And to make sure that people who want to support education, for example, with philanthropy, if you want to donate money, you should do it via our system because you'll see how your money actually re results in the change you want because everything is transparent, that it doesn't go to salaries, etc. But they don't need to understand how everything works uh, in the pack. They just need to, to understand uh, the value. Um, yeah. that, that's uh, that, that's, that's one, one important reason why you should uh, look at at the values and not the underlying uh, technology. Certainly, and I love how you bring up the Philippines and how uh, in many ways, the power is going to the creators and also the users and owners of the NFTs and the Filipino population really, um, I think spearheaded and pioneered a lot of that. I'm based in Bali and Indonesia and Southeast Asia has this very strong uh, Web3 uh, following. Like how, how does that all uh, calculate into the future of TinyTap and your vision of this this global platform and how uh, people uh, can the Gini coefficient and everything can be sort of shrunk uh, you know, through what you're doing? Okay, so uh, if I'm going back to my previous answer, the reason we got into Web three is because the value of transparency and trust, but also because of the way it's set up. And the thesis, the thesis behind Web3 is that once users and creators have a stake in something, they have more incentive to promote the, that platform than others. And, we, and the more hands touching something and, and involved in a project, the more creative ideas and business models can emerge and, and new possibilities can happen. So that's what we're trying to achieve. And one way to achieve that is by building communities that co-own their own curriculums and, and push that forward. So if, for example, if we're talking about Bali and, and Indonesia, we can imagine creating a community on the ground of teachers who decided to work on the Tanata platform, create their own curriculum, not just a game or a course, but actually create their own curriculum. Maybe it can be uh, English as a second language. Maybe it's something it can be something local. Ba Balinese culture and history or something. Yeah, even yeah, something and, preserving and local stuff. Yeah. And there's different roles. You can you can talk about creators. So people are hearing us right now might say like, okay, I'm not a teacher, not a creator, but there are the creators, but you can be a marketer, you can be a promoter, you can join by getting a stake and then working to promote that content. So we imagine those communities coming together, creating an agenda that they want to promote. Can be even, doesn't have to be school matters, can be sustainability. Okay, it can be internet skills, can be whatever you want to promote, can be LGBTQ, QIs, Anything you want to see in the world and you want to make that change through education, you should do it on TinyTap, create a community, kind of learn how to monetize it. Monetize it. There is a playbook to be, to be made here. People in, in crypto land always kind of want everything to just happen. You buy the NFT and the revenue comes, but honestly, you still need to work to make the revenue. You're going to create the content. Uh, you can buy in an NFT, you know, and you can pay a subscription fee, a promotion fee on TinyTap and enjoy that revenue, but it will limit on what you can really do. If you really want to scale that, then you also need to be creative and, and actually work. And we will work with those communities to create playbooks and like you shared, share them between communities. 
So we imagine a community in Bali, a community in the Philippines, a community in Japan, a community in China, China everyone creating their curriculum with TinyTap. Uh, or if, if it's an external education company like Udemy or Coursera or other companies, we're not even now in Web3. We want to create a token that would eventually allow them to play along with us and give and enjoy the same kind of uh, transparency that we're, that we're getting by implementing our protocol. So for example, if, you have, if we have a treasury of $10 million uh, uh, on, on a specific subject, let's say uh, it's teach English, then other companies can tap into that bounty, bounty pool, get some tokens, get some money out of that, develop the courses it was supposed to be developed, or even more, more, more exciting, if you have content that serves a specific agenda, let's say it's, again, it's English in, 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 uh, for, for Chinese speakers, if you have content that does that, and you implement our protocol, and you spit out an achievement every time that course is completed, you'll be able to unlock some of the funds. So we're constantly thinking about how to build something that is more of an ecosystem play. TinyTap is the product, EDC, Education Coin is the coin, and that is on top of TinyTap, and other companies will be able to plug into that in other communities. That's how we see Web2. We want all the incentives to be aligned. Amazing, yeah, and I think writ large, most industries will be kind of gamified and tokenized. You've already really gamified very powerful way, this approach to education and now to tokenize it and to be able to really incentivize and to do these bounty pools where you're creating these available pools of capital for people to be able to go out and build things like, wow, that's a real uh, virtuous cycle that's going to just uh, create new opportunities that we can't even see right now. It's the, the amount of new uh, sort of employment and entrepreneurial uh, uh, opportunities. And yeah, it's fascinating. And, and maybe uh, Rich uh, should have maybe shared that earlier. We did the, we did the first auction. It's very high, uh, high numbers because the courses actually generate a lot of revenue. We understand this is not the best way to create a community because uh, there's so many people that can join in those amounts. The next phase will be to launch a token, and then do a, a full massive auction for thousands of games on TinyTap. So thousands of people can own some of, some, of, some of the games and, and start generating revenue from that, but also start thinking as a group. Maybe let's group together, let's take the content you have, let's localize it, create a product with it. So that's what I would like people to, to, to be minded of. Maybe follow, I can suggest follow TinyTap AB on Twitter. Yes, terrific or visit web3.tinytap.com and to, to follow us and understand when that's coming. And when that is coming and people will be able to ask to buy individual content pieces, they don't necessarily need to assess every unit of content. What, what buying pieces of content from a company does is giving you a backdoor to, to basically link yourself to the success of the company. It gives you a backdoor to ownership in the company itself. Let me explain, because I think this is a novel idea. When you buy content on TinyTap, you don't buy shares. Shares investors buy, credit investors pay. But when you buy individual pieces of content, those content are making now X dollars, and the company is making Y dollars. Now, when the company will, instead of $8 million, will create 80 or $800 million, 
there's suddenly there's a lot more subscribers and more revenue that will go and flow down to the, to the content level because there's more subscribers accessing. So don't think about tiny up. Thinking about buying part of House of Cards on Netflix very early on or Evolution, Evolution of De Dance or Charlie Beat My Finger. I don't think people will know what I'm talking about here. But <laughs> buying something. You do, right, Rich? So that's what it means. I think a lot buying of listeners probably do do. Okay. If not, Google it. Yeah, so, so, so indeed, to be able to, to like, think about it, if you could invest in Netflix early on, back when they were mailing CDs, you know, that was a different, but if you could invest in the, the content, but in doing so, you're uh, part of a much larger play. I think that's what also supporting these that tokenization is going to unlock. You're supporting that specific area, you know, don't invest in all already. Just, you know, take a specific uh, channel that they have there or, or take, I want to see more content that talks about sustainability. I want to see more talk, content that talks about that. You're, you know, they say that uh, you vote with your clicks, right? Like there's so many, so much hate online and there's so much bad videos and images, but we click on them. So the people who promote that just understand that that's what you want to get, be fed. So they keep creating that content. And so I think buying NFTs in, in content platforms is the way to also vote on what you want to see online. Offset that and drive forward the content and message that you want to see out in the world. Wow, terrific. Excellent. Wow. As advertised, ladies and gentlemen, Yogav Shelley, founder and CEO of TinyTap. Thank you so much. We're going to put all that in the show notes. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to be, you know, uh, closely watching the tokenization and my daughter loves it, uh, TinyTap. So it's uh, it's terrific. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it. And uh, your homework will be to get the iPad app and create some games for your daughter. Give it a shot. Against our educators. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. Excellent. Terrific. Thank you so much. For having you. This podcast is for information purposes only and should not be considered as financial advice. Any opinions provided in this podcast reflect the views of the speakers only.